In this episode, Dr. Vanamala Viswanatha spoke to Harshaniyam about her journey into world of translations. An independent scholar and translator, Dr. Vanamala Viswanatha taught English language and literature for over four decades in premier institutions in Bengaluru such as the Indian Institute of Science, Regional Institute of English, PG Center of Bangalore University and Azim Premji University. She has written in Kannada and English on matters of language, literature, teaching and translation. Deeply engaged with various facets of Kannada culture, Dr. Vanmala Vishwanatha was a drama artist in All India Radio. She anchored the Kannada news on Doordarshan from 1984 to 94. She was associate director Katha Regional Academic Center Bangalore an initiative that promoted Indian literatures in translation. She worked as honorary director Center for Translation Sahitya Academy New Delhi. Professor Vanmala Vishwanatha served as member on the National Translation Mission. Professor Vanamala Viswanatha has translated and introduced several well-known Kannada writers such as Sara Abubekar, Lankesh Vaidehi, UR Anantamurthy and others. She translated Sanskara into Swedish and introduced the Swedish novel The Way of the Serpent by Tony Lindgren in Kannada. More recently, she has translated several classical texts from pre-modern and modern Kannada literature including the poetry of women saint poets of the 12th century Vaishnava movement the life of harishchandra her translation of a medieval kannada poetic classic in the murthy classical library of india series is a landmark publication dr vanmala viswanath's translation of indira bai along with sivarama padikkal a novel which was set in 1899 the first social novel in canada published by oxford university press in 2019 received the best translation award in 2020 from kuwempu bhasha bharati pradhikara government of karnataka you can buy harishchandra english translation using the link given below professor vanamala viswanatha ma'am welcome to our podcast harshniyam thank you anil for having me over i'm really looking forward to our chat uh, ma'am uh, you have been uh, translating uh, works from kannada into english and from english to kannada and from swedish to uh, kannada over the last four decades i guess so where did this journey begin you see i was born into a tamil speaking family so my language at home was tamil whereas uh, my friends uh, and the school outside was all kannada and therefore i was born uh, i think uh, into a translating culture like most of the, the indians <laughs> we know therefore it was uh, always uh, you know connecting different worlds as it were you know uh, through language and uh, therefore it was a very fascinating uh, uh, you know thing to be doing it came very naturally 
and inevitably in a multilingual context like India. And uh, so the beginnings go back to that. And um, those days, you know, like uh, very often some Telugu film songs that we heard on the radio and so on, were, you know, they would, uh, Tamil films would uh, dub uh, Telugu songs and Telugu would dub Kannada songs and so on. Uh, we were familiar with uh, Kannada songs. So when we heard it in Telugu, we said, ah, it's that song. So then we realized that even songs could be translated into other songs. So things like this, all these things were so fascinating as we were growing up as children that uh, it kind of, uh, uh, that's the ambience in which, you know, we have all grown our life in many languages. So I was no exception, actually. I used to do a lot of short stories and uh, a few essays here and there commissioned by Karnataka Sahitya Academy and other uh, such bodies, you know, for their journal, translation journal called Aniketana and so on. Uh, so that's how I started my work with short stories. Uh, the first uh, uh, big text that I did, bigger than the short story, I mean, is a novella by uh, Sara Abu Bakr, Muslim woman writer from Kasurgod in Karnataka. Uh, her very famous book called Chandragiri Tiradalli, which came out in 1984. And I translated it into English as uh, Breaking Ties. Macmillan uh, published it. And um, uh, Ms. Minikrishnan was the editor uh, at that time. Uh, under her uh, guidance, you know, I uh, translated this novella first. That was my first work. What was the response to the first work? From the readers, yeah, you see, the uh, the text itself was uh, made waves in Canada literary circles when she published it, because for the first time, Canada readers were getting a peek into the kind of uh, life uh, of a Muslim family in the uh, border uh, region of Kasargod and uh, you know in a poor uh, muslim household so and uh, a progressive writer like lankesh uh, first you know published it in his lankesh patrike which was known for uh, this kind of a, a showcasing of the new the different the other uh, in a, in a very big way when I was growing up in the 70s, it was much like the 60s, you know, that uh, you know, this kind of rebellion, the hippie rebellion in America. We had uh, something similar, not, in, not exactly in those terms and in those ways, but rebellion was there everywhere. And therefore, these questions about the uh, unequal status of women, the unequal status of Dalits, all these issues uh, were really... Uh, in the air outside us, and especially in Kannada uh, uh, context, it was the Bandaya movement, the protest movement, was very, very, uh, you know, active and very energetic those days. Therefore, we grew up asking these questions, and therefore, it was uh, it was only natural then that I picked up a feminist text like Sarah Bubakar's to translate. And uh, those days, we had this kind of an idealism about using translation as a way of activism, right? As a way of, uh, uh, you know, doing a socially relevant text and not uh, just simply, a, you know, a classic or, a, you know, something of uh, you know, literary 
uh, interest alone. Sarah Bubaka's text uh, fulfilled so many criteria, including the social and the literary. Therefore, it was uh, kind of uh, fired us up with that kind of an enthusiasm, you know, and a certain spirit of activism. And so uh, that was my first text, actually. Other than this, uh, one of the uh, very popular uh, translations that you have done is uh, by name Indirabai. Sarabu Becker uh, is uh, more of a recent history, right? I, I guess 1980s uh, kind of a story it was. Uh, when it comes to Indirabai, it's basically a pre-independence uh, story that uh, I was given to understand it is the uh, first social novel uh, in Kannada, if I'm correct. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, what are the kind of challenges that you faced? See, the first question that confronts a translator is uh, the choice of text. You know, and now just now I explained to you why I chose uh, Sarah Abubakar's text, and so why did I choose Indirabai? You know, a, a text which was written in 1899, right? And uh, so. Um, see, um, this is, a, as, as you said, uh, it's the first social novel. And uh, this was published in 2019, but the work, we, I began on it uh, much earlier, actually. And uh, by then, uh, we had all, we, I had started teaching a paper in uh, the postgraduate department, English department in Bangalore University called Modern Indian Literatures. And I was, uh, you know, we were uh, all working together with, you know, like um, uh, Professor Meenakshi Mukherjee uh, had this book on the first novels uh, in uh, Indian languages in India, where she was talking about how Bengal came up, uh, you know, with its first novel and how Induleka in Malayalam came up, you know, in uh, Kerala and in different languages. So it's a way of connecting with the larger, uh, uh, you know, uh, India where the novel as a form uh, took root, right? And it uh, took root in different ways in different regions. Therefore, in a way, uh, it's a way of connecting also to that history of uh, how nationalism worked out in, with slightly different accents in different places of India. It was not all homogeneous, right? So to establish that difference and also to showcase how Canada uh, negotiated colonial modernity, uh, Shivram Padikal and I chose this uh, text in the first place. And, um, you know, like uh, in Hyderabad uh, University, you know, Professor Sridhar, for instance, uh, taught a course on first novels in India, uh, in which he taught this particular novel also. And so we, we thought, okay, here is a, a way of, uh, you know, uh, contributing to that whole debate by translating this novel. But it was already translated by British administrator called Coachman in uh, 1900, one, one or two years so after the publication of uh, the original work. But it was uh, nearly after 110 years that we were publishing our book, right? because we wanted to do a slightly different kind of translation uh, to show how uh, this uh, novel is uh, based in the um, you know saraswat community of uh, south canara you know uh, the erstwhile south canara 
and uh, so south canara is linguistically an extremely interesting and extremely diverse kind of a, an area right there are uh, there's konkani there is tulu there is bihari uh, and there is sanskrit there is you know it is truly truly multilingual and you know as a first text which was working out its uh, novel novelistic form in kannada uh, it had to uh, counter all these various languages right and so we thought we would try and uh, keep the textuality you know the way in which the text is constructed uh, it's a very very fascinating uh, process so apart from the theme the form itself is uh, very uh, illustrative of uh, uh, that particular phase in the history of uh, the kannada novel right and therefore we thought we should do a very more literal kind of a translation there are a whole lot of songs uh, proverbs uh, folk tales you know like purana like harikatha style uh, you know narration all that in a very modern kind of a, you know in one text it's as though the writer is moving from a puranic kind of a context to the middle ages to the modern you know ages you know in some ways this text reminds you of uh, what uh, anantamurthy once uh, said that uh, in europe for instance there is a very clear tradition and past and then there is a more very modern present and uh, so there's a total disconnect between the two whereas in india uh, we are living in all in all three you know the ancient modern and medieval uh, at the same time right so a text like this illustrates uh you know that kind of an insight about the way in which we in india and especially in karnataka we have we have negotiated modernity so it is all these things you know and how women have been um, represented uh within the broad contours of uh, indian nationalism all those issues come up you know like widow remarriage that's the central issue of uh, you know indirabai uh therefore it's uh, in a way you know it is uh, uh, up to a point it's feminist it uh, you know stages some of the debates that were important for the 19th century cultural context therefore we found it very fascinating to do this work in the forward to indira bai you talked about uh, transporting the reader right uh, what exactly you mean by transporting the reader uh, while translating uh see uh, i am not the first one to uh, say this but um, our guru translation guru ak ramanujan for instance hmm, without referring to him I, we cannot talk about translation in india hmm? he is that important so he says uh, one hopes to not only translate the text but also translate the reader so uh, this is what uh, you know ramanujan says in his very um, you know elegant kind of a way that you're also translating a reader when you're translating a text one is hoping to do that hmm? so what do we mean by that right uh, uh, see the thing is the the translated text is coming from a, a context that is not very familiar to the reader right now when that is so uh, especially when you are translating into english uh, it is not very clear who your readers are it they could be your neighbors 
who perhaps understand Kannada but cannot read Kannada. It could be, uh, you know, a Telugu person who does not know Kannada at all, but shares a lot of the language and culture, uh, you know, through trans-Sanskrit and other, uh, you know, general, uh, you know, knowledge of uh, Indian mythology, Indian texts, and so on. Or it could be a total foreigner. It could be anybody from anywhere who might be reading it. So when this is so, uh, the reader, who is the reader of this text uh, you have translated? is a question that keeps coming up uh, every now and then for us as translators, especially when it's a term uh, that is new, for instance. Uh, like, let me give you an example. Mm. While translating samskara into uh, Swedish, uh, my fellow collaborator, you know, Hans Schostrom, uh, didn't know exactly what Upitu was. You know, there's so much of a reference to Upit. And he had come visiting here to, in Bangalore. And uh, so I thought the best way to, uh, to show him is to uh, make it and you know, serve him Upitu, right? And so he has never forgotten what Upitu means, right? So uh, this, some, this is something I, we could afford to do because he was here. But how do you do it in a text? So my uh, my way and uh, of uh, doing you know like uh, in translation is to um, provide as much support to the reader uh, to uh, to shift himself or herself to the world of the text you know because every text uh, uh, comes from never from a vacuum but from a given context a given history a given politics you know, uh, so without the, that those, that situational location, the text would not have been born, right? Therefore, uh, to some extent, at least that context is important for, for the understanding of the text. And hence, uh, because the text has already had a life in a particular language and culture, that context needs to be provided for this uh, reader to fully appreciate the text and fully translate herself into the terms of the text and to, to empathize, to be part of the text as a reader. And so uh, the load of meaning uh, is not always only on the text that you're translating. And hence, I believe that it's important for translators to provide an introduction where you try and locate uh, the text in its context, right? And, uh, you know, and provide maybe footnotes, uh, you know, for very essential uh, items in the text and a kind of a glossary, maybe at the end, if necessary, to explain, for instance, kinship terms. See, like uh, one of the uh, recurring uh, issues uh, with in translation is you know, we as a culture, we are uh, we are an oral culture largely, and our texts are speaking texts which are written basically. We always say "aya," "anna," "akka." Huh? You know, these uh, terms of uh, uh, you know refer address. Uh, without that, uh, we don't speak normally, right? Uh, so, in the in Indian texts, Indian language texts, this. Uh, uh, this is a very important feature. 
Uh, in fact, one of the uh, criticisms about Ramanujan's translation of the Vachanas from 12th century Karnataka is that uh, Vachana essentially is a spoken text, you know, and uh, Ramanujan has made it into a very beautiful uh, written text, <laughs> you know, that's one of the uh, uh, comments made about his writing. You can examine whether he's actually done it or not is uh, different, but that's a, such a comment is there. Now, for instance, in the text that I'm currently working on, uh, which is Kuwempu's, uh, you know, this giant of a writer, Kuwempu in Canada, his uh, uh, mega novel called Malegalalli Madumagalu, uh, a Bride in the Hills is this uh, tentative title. And uh, in that, you know, everybody's, you know, it's a very hierarchical rural society. And uh, you cannot speak to, uh, you know, you know, your immediate boss in the, uh, let's say, uh, you know, uh, in one community, in the same way as you speak to another person in another community. Hmm? So uh, these become very important uh, uh, signals of hierarchy. So uh, this this kind of a sensitivity becomes very important for a uh, definitely for a translator. And so it is for the reader. Now, how do you convey this? So maybe a glossary, you know, where you say in that um, you know Sarah Bubaka's text, I have said Abba, uh, Ammi. Um, uh, you know, words like that, bhaiya, whatever, you know, all of those things. Therefore, uh, my belief is that uh, in the process of transporting, uh, you know, like Salman Rushdie uses this image of uh, translation, you know, like uh, a translators uh, carry, you know, like uh, um, text from one uh, culture to another, right? That's why I have used uh, the Hanuman, <laughs> Uh, image uh, Hanuman who carries the entire you know uh, mountain uh, for the sake of the one mulika right uh, so I, I I've seen translators as people uh, who carry the burden of meaning you know uh, on their backs and how do they carry it not just through the text but also through this kind of what we call the outwork, you know, outside the work, what kind of preparation do you need? The reader also has to work for the meaning. It's not just the translator. So I'm ready to hold his or her hand to take her into the world of the text through all these supports that I can provide outside the text. But as far as within the text is concerned, I would like to keep as low a profile as possible and make the reader meet the text as directly uh, as possible, right? Therefore, my interventions come outside the text. And of course, my intervention is there as a translator in that I have changed the language, you see. Therefore, that basic thing is there, but I don't make any changes to the text. It is as is, as the text is. And whatever uh, contextual information is necessary for the reader, uh, then it is provided in the outwork. Uh, and the reader has to work a little harder. So my basic argument has been that the reader also needs to be trained to read translated works differently from uh, uh, his own language or her own language works.
right? It's, it is a, it, he, he or she has to walk that extra mile to get out of the text, right? That is the basic uh, idea. I have, uh, that's why all my translations have uh, these uh, supports, you know, uh, uh, around the text. Yeah, the very well articulated point, Madam. Reader also has to do, you know, his work. Uh, one more comment. Uh, you see, like today uh, in the publishing world, uh, they don't uh, generally uh, encourage you to put footnotes and end notes and uh, long introductions. You know, it's not uh, fashionable uh, to do this kind of a thing. So sometimes I find it uh, problematic, you know, uh, to especially with uh, commercial publishing. Uh, this practice is seen as, oh, that is, uh, you know, a scholarly edition. We are not doing a scholarly edition. We are doing a general edition. But uh, we all read our Tolstoy in general editions. But even they carried the weight of meaning was distributed between the text and the, uh, the between the work and the outwork. Right. And especially the number of characters, the places, when everything is so alien. Mm, some help might might really help. That is my stand on this. But there are times when uh, uh, there are other players, other stakeholders in the publication, and uh, I try to put this forward. If it's acceptable, fine. If it's not acceptable, I go along with the current. Right. What is your thought process behind choosing a particular work for translation? That is the first part. And uh, is there anything called translatability? Is it better for some works to be left alone? <laughs> because they are not translatable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, yeah, the first question is about choice. And uh, I spoke uh, about it earlier uh, with reference to both uh, Chandragiri and later Indrabai. And, uh, uh, you know, choice that way is a very, very, uh, you know, the very first thing. It's most um, primary, you know, in the, this whole process of translation. What do you pick up? You know, which text do you pick up? What are, what are your criteria? Uh, that becomes a very important consideration. For instance, when I, uh, you know, uh, chose Harishchandra Kavyam, which is a 13th century medieval text in Kannada. Uh, I, until then, I never imagined that I would be, uh, I would ever be translating medieval poetry. Um, I was sitting Vela one afternoon, uh, quite jobless, and said, okay, who am I, where am I, what am I going to do with my life? Then I vaguely remember, oh, somebody has given some funding to Harvard, right? So then I just uh, Googled and found out. And then it said, uh, okay, there is, uh, you know, Rohan Murthy and Infosys. They had given a fund to Harvard for publishing pre-modern works. And I said, uh, what, what pre-modern works do I know? I knew... Mm, I'd heard of almost all of them. I had uh, read about a few of them and read uh, some of them as extracts, you know, not excerpts, right? 
and uh, this was one of the excerpts. And I could remember a uh, long chunk from the, this poetry uh, by heart. And I said, oh, if I remember, if I can remember something I read uh, 30 years ago, uh, it must be good poetry. You know, that was the first thought that came to me. Then I looked up the book, and then it was, of course, the uh, Harishchandra story. Everybody knows. And it was a, a good, uh, compelling story. So I said, huh, this will make a good read. And uh, then I found out, uh, as, you know, then I found that uh, in, in uh, the Indian uh, context, uh, this uh, Kannada is the first, uh, apart from Sanskrit, Kannada is the first language to make an entire, make Harishchandra the focus of an entire work, right? And I said, huh, then this is uh, Kannada's unique contribution. Therefore, let me translate this, right? So there was a, there was a personal uh, resonance uh, of the text within me. And then there was the context of uh, uh, a good publisher publishing it. And therefore, I said, why not? You know, and then there is this uh, a good story. Usually, for uh, when you translate, uh, when you're translating, it's very important that you uh, choose something that has a strong storyline, you know, especially uh, uh, classical poetry, right? Uh, therefore, I thought, okay, he, here is a nice, uh, strong storyline. And uh, truth uh, is an issue, especially in this... Uh, <laughs> post-truth society of ours, you know. So I said, oh, this, uh, this will make a good candidate. Then I, uh, when I read it, I said, not me. This looks like Mission Impossible. You know, all of this is for the poetry. And how will I ever do this? If I found ways of doing it, etc., etc. That's another uh, aspect of the book. But to go back to the question of choice, I think several things have to come together. And, uh, you know, there should be a personal uh, kind of a reason that work, choosing that work. Because uh, otherwise, translation is such a, uh, such a lot of sweat and blood, you know. Uh, <laughs> and there's not much in it for you, huh? uh, either by way of money or even by way of uh, fame and name. Not uh, at least until recent times, you know, in the last... Uh, Ten years, things have changed, and uh, so on. Are uh, changing, I would, say. and not for everybody. Um, a few uh, people, you know. Uh, at least it's a good uh, movement, you know. I would say. Um, so, uh, therefore, if you want to put yourself through, uh, trans you know, translating a work, you better love it. Huh? <laughs> you you better feel passionate about it so that at least you enjoy the process, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so right. that's the first thing about choice that you like the work you're doing, right? And uh, and then there is a good publisher, and, uh, and so that you know you feel uh, you know that that uh, external pressure of the commitment uh, will keep you going, you know. Because it's a fairly lonely activity you do in isolation. And uh, if it is not real enough, very often, you know, your effort falls by the wayside and you forget about it. So it, if it has to reach fruition, then uh, this kind of a context is very important. And so uh, the choice is never really just 
um, individual. It's also it's individual. It is social. It is at the time uh, what is uh, uh, happening around you, um, and which uh, what kind of people are associated with the project, right? And what kind of uh, support systems are there in place? All these things uh, matter a great deal about you know when you are thinking of choice. Yeah. The other part about uh, translatability. Yeah. Um, the issue of translatability, uh, uh, or yeah. you know, the other side is uh, the untranslatability of texts, right? Uh, is a is a tremendous uh, philosophical question about which a lot has been written by philosophers of language. Hmm? Uh, so um, we won't go into that debate. But as a practicing translator, what is my take on translatability is something I can speak about. Uh, though I'm aware of the debate and the contours of that debate, yeah. There is this um, Ortega Gasse, he's a Spanish uh, philosopher of language. You know, he has a brilliant essay called The Misery and Plender of Translation. You know, I love that essay. You know, he, where he's talking about how there is language A and you choose a text from language A and now you are translating it into B. So language A and language B are two separate things, apart from each other, unlike each other. That's why one is A, the other is B. But you have chosen to translate something from A into B. So you are going against the very nature of things when you are translating, right? By, you know, that's the misery of, the, of translation that something that is fundamentally by definition uh, different and new i mean apart from each other you're trying to uh, somehow make them the same right and it is that is a challenge of translation and very often though it is different though it seems so impossible uh, uh, gasse talks about how but translators have done it and have been doing it ever since found ways of making uh, it the same if if not same but at least similar right there's a simulacrum as he calls it huh? so there's the same a similarness not sameness but something that looks like so in an article i have uh, you know written with sherry simon i've called it translation is a relative of the original mm -hmm. it's a kin of the original right it's not exactly the same so and, and therefore, I would say, for instance, that especially when you take a work like uh, Harishchandra Kavyam, which is a 13th century work from a very different Shaiva religious uh, world of Raghavanka from Hampe. You know, like uh, my friend uh, Pratibha Nandkumar, who has written about it, has if, when she first uh, met me, I know when I, was, uh, I had chosen this, she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm translating Harishchandra Kavya. Harishchandra Kavya, impossible, she said. Right? How do you translate Harishchandra Kavya into English? So even I didn't know when I set out how I would translate. Right? <laughs> it's not that we had great models to follow uh, to translate uh, medieval works into English. Right? And, uh, you know, there were excerpts uh, that some people had done and I know some of the colonial translators had translated a few 
texts here and there not fully but in uh, you know extracts and so on so uh, therefore how do you translate a whole work of 728 verses spread out over 14 chapters right so one try to make a beginning and usually all our uh, classics you know they begin with one nandi stuti and so on so i got stuck like uh, vinayaka you know prathama chumbalam danta bhagnam couldn't get beyond the first uh, two stanzas for a long time then i said oh very easy i can just give up huh? what is there you see like my friend said okay you leave the first uh, chapter uh, get on with the story you know maybe that part is easier then i took that advice seriously and started the story and uh, st- stories can be told uh, in different languages no so then it uh, flowed the writing you know uh, flowed then after some time I, when i came back to the first chapter it all made sense i knew how to do it but one has to often break bend and uh, do things with language hmm? to make uh, to accommodate uh, a different reality a new reality in a language that is different our languages are full of you know puns you know and so on so how do you convey those things that was a difficult thing or how do you translate a soundscape you know the way a language sounds for instance hmm? uh you see there are uh, any number of uh, descriptions of the forest and uh, you know all of that okay look at this there is a wildfire hmm? the wildfire uh, you know vishwamitra creates a, a wildfire when harishchandra his wife and son are uh, uh, you know walking through the forest sets up a wildfire by magic suddenly you know all around him there is this wildfire Maybe I'll read the uh, Kannada first. Huh? Yeah. Kutturagirdha hemmelegalam sudutta Balavetta bettava sildu sekke galevutta Paluvetta nelanam karikuvari sutta Beleda maradidukurolo ninduruhuta Hottutta hogeyutta habbutta haridu Negeyutta gaganavanu tudukutta mattantadasi sutta ಮುತ್ತಿತ್ತು ದಾವಾನಳನ್ ಅಸತ್ಯ ಕಾಂತಾರ ದಾವಾನಳನನು ಸೋ ಮಚ್ ಎನರ್ಜಿ ಹೌ ಡು ಯು ಬ್ರಿಂಗ್ ದಿಸ್ ಎನರ್ಜಿ ಮ್ಯಾನ್ ಇನ್ ಟು ಇಂಗ್ಲಿಷ್ ಬರ್ನಿಂಗ್ ಡೌನ್ ಥಿಕ್ ಕ್ಲಂಪ್ಸ್ ಆಫ್ ಬ್ಯಾಂಬೂ ಕ್ಲೀವಿಂಗ್ ಥ್ರೂ ಮೈಟಿ ಮೌಂಟನ್ಸ್ ದೇರ್ ವಿಂಗ್ಸ್ ಸೆವರ್ಡ್ ಬ್ಲಾಕ್ನಿಂಗ್ ದ ಗ್ರೌಂಡ್ ಓವರ್ ಗ್ರೋನ್ ವಿತ್ ಥಿಕ್ ಶ್ರಬ್ಸ್ ಅಂಡ್ ಬ್ಲೋಯಿಂಗ್ ಥ್ರೂ ಹಾಲೋಸ್ ಆಫ್ ಜೈಗ್ಯಾಂಟಿಕ್ ಟ್ರೀಸ್ the fire blazed through the forest searing and smoking and sizzling and spiraling soaring to the skies and scattering striking from every side the forest fire enveloped harishchandra himself the forest fire enveloped harishchandra himself a fire to the forest of untruth right then comes this uh, description of the wildfire bhugi bugil bhugi bugil chili chilil chiti chitil dagadagil dagadagil ghari gharil ghari gharil dagadagam dagadagam dagadagil chimi chimil churi churil chata chata en dogedu dhamdagam dhamdagam ghul ghul en dubbi negedu 
ದಳ್ಳುರಿ ಬಳ್ಳಿ ಒಳಿದು ಕತ್ತರಿಸಿ ಕರ್ಬಗೆ ಮೀರಿ ತೋರಿ ಕೆಂಗಿಡಿಗೆದರಿ ದವಾಗ್ನಿ ಮುತ್ತಿತ್ತು ದವಾಗ್ನಿ ಮುತ್ತಿತ್ತು ನಾಲ್ ದೆಸೆಯನು ಸೊ ಹೌ ಡು ಯು ಟ್ರಾನ್ಸ್ಲೇಟ್ ಬುಗಿ ಬುಗಿಲ್ ಬುಗಿ ಬುಗಿಲ್ ಇಟ್ಸ್ ಅ ಸೌಂಡ್ ರೈಟ್ ಸೊ ಐ ಡಿನ್ ಟ್ರಾನ್ಸ್ಲೇಟ್ ರೈಟ್ ಬಿಕಾಸ್ ಲೆಟ್ ಇಟ್ ಬಿ ಯುನೋ ಇನ್ ದ ಸೇಮ್ ಸೊ ಇನ್ ಐಟಾಲಿಕ್ಸ್ ಐ ಜಸ್ಟ್ ಪುಟ್ ಬಿ ಹೆಚ್ ಯು ಜಿ ಐ ಎಲ್ ಬಿ ಹೆಚ್ ಯು ಜಿ ಐ ಎಲ್ ಓಕೆ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಸೋ ಆನ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ದೆನ್ ವೆನ್ ಇಟ್ ಕಮ್ಸ್ ಟು ದಿ ಸೆನ್ಸ್ ಪಾರ್ಟ್ ನೋ ಒಗಿದು ಧಮ್ ಏನು ದಳ್ಳುರಿ ಬಳ್ಳಿ ಬಳಿದು ಆಲ್ ದೋಸ್ ಥಿಂಗ್ಸ್ ಹ್ಯಾವ್ ಮೀನಿಂಗ್ಸ್ ದೇರ್ ಪ್ರಾಪರ್ ವರ್ಡ್ಸ್ ದೆನ್ ಐ ಸೆಟ್ ಐ ಐ ಗೇವ್ ಆಲ್ ದಿಸ್ ಸೌಂಡ್ಸ್ ಅಂಡ್ ದೆ ಸೆಟ್ ದ ಫೈರ್ ಸ್ವೆಲ್ಡ್ ಸ್ಪ್ಲಿಂಟ್ರಿಂಗ್ ಸ್ಪ್ರಿಂಗಿಂಗ್ ಲೈಕ್ ಅ ಕ್ರೀಪರ್ ಇಟ್ಸ್ ಬ್ಲೇಸಿಂಗ್ ಫ್ಲೇಮ್ ಟರ್ನಿಂಗ್ ಎವ್ರಿಥಿಂಗ್ ಬ್ಲ್ಯಾಕ್ ಸ್ಪೂಯಿಂಗ್ ಬ್ಲ್ಯಾಕ್ ಸ್ಮೋಕ್ ರೆಡ್ ಸ್ಪಾರ್ಕ್ಸ್ ಫ್ಲೈಯಿಂಗ್ ಇನ್ ಆಲ್ ಡಿರೆಕ್ಷನ್ಸ್ ದ ಫೈರ್ ಎನ್ಗಲ್ಫ್ ದ ಫಾರೆಸ್ಟ್ ಆನ್ ಆಲ್ ಫೋರ್ ಸೈಡ್ಸ್ ರೈಟ್ ಸೊ ವಾಟ್ ಯು ಹ್ಯಾವ್ ಟು ಡೂ ಇಸ್ ಟು ಕೈಂಡ್ ಆಫ್ ಫೈಂಡ್ ವೇಸ್ ಆಫ್ ಒನ್ ವೇ ಹ್ಯಾವ್ ಟ್ರೈ ಟು ಡೂ ಇಸ್ ಟು ಜಸ್ಟ್ ಫಾಲೋ ದ ಟೆಕ್ಸ್ಟ್ ನಾಟ್ ಸೊ ಮಚ್ ಫಾಲೋ ಇಂಗ್ಲಿಷ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ವಾಟ್ ಇಸ್ ಸೊ ಮಚ್ ಡನ್ ಆಸ್ ಅ ಟ್ರೆಡಿಷನ್ ಆರ್ ಯುನೋ ಆಸ್ ಆಸ್ ಅ ಸ್ಟ್ರಾಟಜಿ ಯುನೋ ಆಫ್ ಪೋಯಟ್ರಿ ಇನ್ ಇಂಗ್ಲಿಷ್ ಐ ಹ್ಯಾವ್ ಜಸ್ಟ್ ಸೆಡ್ ಓಕೆ ಐ ಆಮ್ ಟ್ರಾನ್ಸ್ಲೇಟಿಂಗ್ ತರ್ಟೀನ್ ಸೆಂಚುರಿ ರಾಘವ ರಾಘವಂಕಸ್ ಪೋಯಿಟ್ರಿ ಐ ವಿಲ್ ಟ್ರೈ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಡೂ ವಾಟ್ ಹಿ ಹ್ಯಾಸ್ ಡನ್ ಇನ್ ಇಂಗ್ಲಿಷ್ ಟು ದ ಎಕ್ಸ್ಟೆಂಟ್ ಐ ಕ್ಯಾನ್ ಯಾಫೋರ್ ದಿಸ್ ಇಸ್ ದಿ ವೇ ಇನ್ ವಿಚ್ ಐ ಹ್ಯಾವ್ ಟ್ರೈ ಟು ಎಸ್ಟಾಬ್ಲಿಷ್ ಟ್ರಾನ್ಸ್ಲೇಟಬಿಲಿಟಿ ಬಟ್ ದೇ ವಾಸ್ ಅ ರೈಡರ್ ಯುನೋ ದಿ ಗ್ರೂಪ್ ದ ಎಡಿಟೋರಿಯಲ್ ಗ್ರೂಪ್ ಹ್ಯಾಡ್ ದಿಸ್ ಯುನೋ ವೆರಿ ಸೆನ್ಸಿಬಲ್ ಗೈಡ್ಲೈನ್ saying because we cannot translate the rhythms of uh, the language the metrical composition uh, in indian languages into english uh, meter uh, try and translate them into prose whatever format maybe format maybe do it into prose on the left is uh, six lines uh, verses on the right is a prose translation the first draft had only uh, this but i started looking at it and revising it you know it is called harishchandra kavyam kavyam means uh, poetry oh what have i done with this you know at least some let me see if i can set them out as verses if not as uh, full blown poetry metrical poetry at least in a kind of a blank verse kind of a way and uh, let me see and then i tried out where something is very poetic or very lyrical or very dramatic you know where there's an emotional charge etc such places i have tried try to the set it out in a verse and i sent it to the editors and it is to the credit of uh, you know my editors at that point uh, david shulman and uh, sheldon pollock who welcomed these changes despite their guideline you know so uh, because they found that this is a uh, this added value you know to the translation and uh, another thing i did was uh, this text is a very dramatic text you know it's full of high drama right full of repartee vishwamitra saying what is and vasishtha saying this etc so it's full of drama so i said poetry let me do it as dialogue 
and I sort of, uh, you know, indicated these conversations in a dialogic dialogue form. And that was also something they accepted. Okay. Therefore, what is a singular, um, uniformly Shatpadi kind of poetry in uh, Kannada uh, has three different styles in the translation. Uh, so on the face of it, it looks as though what is this? Here is one verse on the left side and here one prose and one poetry and one drama. Huh? But our Kavyam presented all these modes in its uh, constitution, in its construction. Therefore, I thought the spirit of the uh, text is uh, better conveyed through these kinds of things, in these changes. So what is uh, on the face of it a uh, uh, difficult uh, thing to translate, you kind of try to do it in other ways. Wonderful, madam. <laughs> Very nice to you. Yeah. Uh, you also edited and uh, given your critical inputs to some notable works. Mm -hmm which have yeah. been translated by other translators. Uh, for example, Vasudevan Nair short stories compilation. Yeah. And the You Are mm -hmm. Anantamurthy's autobiography in English and various others. So yeah. when you're actually evaluating them, right? As a reviewer. Yeah, as a reviewer. Huh. You know, what exactly you look for? Uh... See, translation norms uh, are a widely discussed, uh, you know, uh, issue within translation studies and outside also. It's not very easy to set up norms for translation, right? Uh, in terms of uh, uh, these are the, you know, ABCDE qualities, if, you know, and etc., etc. So if it were that simple, then, um, you know, we could have trained hordes of translators, right? But, uh, it is as complex as writing itself, right? And uh, not everybody, every writer writes in the same way, and he or she is proud of that difference, right? In the same way, um, each translator brings uh, her own, you know, world into the job at hand. And I think it's uh, very important to honor and respect that uh, the world and the attempt and the effort that is brought by the translator. So I feel there are no objective criteria by which uh, very, you can very easily judge something as a good translation or as a bad translation. So then how do we judge a translation at all? And on what terms, right? So I would say, if the uh, translator uh, has explained to you somewhere why she chose that text, what's her purpose in choosing that text, and what has she done to achieve that purpose, right? Then you can judge the text, uh, the translated text, on the on on her own terms, on the translator's terms, and say. Uh, has she done it or not? Has has her, has she reached her goal? Has she achieved her goal? That would be the fairest, I think, um, way to read a translation. And if there are two or three different translations, 
which have created different effects. They're, they're bound to because they're done by three different hands. Then, uh, you know, like it, it makes for a very uh, interesting reading to see uh, which work has foregrounded what. And what is your own uh, purpose in doing that analysis? Right. Now, Shakespeare translations, there are dime a dozen. Each of the texts has uh, seen so many translations. So some of them have said, I have done it for the stage. Then it's a different kind of uh, language that you choose, which is very direct and crisp and so on. Whereas somebody might say, no, for me, Shakespeare is essentially a writer of, uh, you know, that is a literature and therefore I'm trying to highlight his literary quality and uh, therefore, etc. You know, the other day I saw a, a version uh, done by a British company of uh, Hamlet hmm, here in Bangalore. That famous uh, speech, to be or not to be, um, as uh, students of English literature, it is for, uh, for us the Bible, no? <laughs> so... Um, and our teachers had read it with such profundity, you know, such weight to be or not to be, you know, on that kind of uh, high tone and a certain gravity, gravitas and so on. So uh, that uh, the actor in that production kind of said it so casually, I felt scandalized. I said, are you <laughs> such a life and uh, death question? And he is just throwing it like, uh, you know, so I said, what is he doing with this Santa? But uh, so it was a very different kind of a take on Hamlet. Okay. So if I can understand that, then I would be prepared for that uh, newness or novelty of the presentation and see uh, how Shakespeare can be extended, uh, you know, to different contexts and different times and different audiences, right? And therefore, I think um, translations are, uh, by and large, they are seen as a secondary activity, but I think they deserve better <laughs> as uh, uh, new creations, right? And uh, you allow uh, creative writers uh, their right to create a new, no? In the same way, translators also have the right to create something anew, uh, you know, with their signature on it. And therefore, you have different translations and that should be fine too.